This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, January 9th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellums. We are back with you after a winter break. Thank you so much for being here. Today, Arkansas legislators are back, too. The 94th General Assembly is officially underway today. It was on this date in 1911 that the Arkansas legislature first convened in the state capitol that's still in use. The structure in 1911 wasn't yet completed, but Governor George Washington Donaghy had declared the building close enough to being finished for lawmakers to meet there. Just wasn't permanent lighting or heating yet. Later this hour, we aren't quite done with 2022 yet. Robert Ginsburg, the host of KUAF's Shades of Jazz, will share his favorite music from the just-finished year with us. First up on our first day back... After a great deal of consideration, the Fayetteville Board of Education on November 17th voted to sell the former Jefferson Elementary School campus in South Fayetteville to a popular local charity known as Potter's House, the sale for more than $1.8 million. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, a local black heritage group offered a dollar, hoping to acquire the historic facility to anchor a proposed black cultural corridor. Sean Schwartzman, founder and president of the nonprofit Potter's House, which operates three thrift stores, a Christian preschool and youth and adult support programs in Fayetteville, Springdale, and Salem Springs, addressed the Fayetteville School Board after members voted to accept his offer to purchase the 92-year-old former Jefferson Elementary School campus in South Fayetteville. Good evening. Thank you. Uh, my name is Sean Schwartzman, and I'm a uh, 96, graduate of Fayetteville High School and uh, born and raised here and also uh, founder and president of Potter's House. And I just want to thank you for the way that you have valued this property. I think it's a huge decision for our community. The 42,000 square foot complex is located on several acres of land on the corner of Martin Luther King Boulevard and South College Avenue in the heart of Fayetteville's Black District. Built in 1930, the facility closed in 2006 after a new school was built west of town. It later reopened as an adult education center. Disposal of any tax-funded public school district property under the Arkansas Department of Education rules requires facilities to be sold at fair market value. The facility is appraised for $1.9 million. The Potter's House offered $1.86 million. Leading up to the final school board vote, Sharon Killian, co-founder and president of the nonprofit Northwest Arkansas African American Heritage Association, which had also made an offer to buy the school, spoke. Our mission is to preserve, document, discover, and inform about black culture in Northwest Arkansas. Our vision for the Jefferson School is to begin remedying systemic erasure of this community through creation of Fayetteville's NWA Black Cultural Corridor. Fayetteville's African-American district, one of five established in northwest Arkansas in the 19th century in Bentonville, Eureka Springs, near Huntsville, and in Harrison, is the last to remain intact, surviving systemic racism, racial cleansing, out-migration, and most recently real estate development pressure. Last summer, for the first time, Fayetteville city leaders approved a resolution to establish a citywide heritage and historic preservation master plan to include and stabilize older, diverse, working-class neighborhoods in the city center. In the resolution, planners acknowledge a significant amount of demolition of existing structures has occurred in such places, replaced by structures that are out of scale and character. 
Sharon Killian told the school board her group could play a key role in preserving the city's historic black district if allowed to purchase the old school. NWA Black Heritage provides agency through which African-American families of NWA can create a different future for their children. This community's authentic local voices and cultural sharing will benefit the entire region. The black and the white school children of Northwest Arkansas deserve the authenticity of our own community leadership. NWA Black Heritage is uniquely poised to provide this with the Jefferson School property. We are all here participating in one of the greatest decisions to reclaim our humanity locally and take a step forward against almost two centuries of marginalization, abuse, disenfranchisement, and racism in our own home place. But in exchange for the Jefferson School property, we offer one dollar and a great deal of change. A month after the school board decision, we met with Potter's House founder Sean Schwartzman at one of his busy thrift stores. We exist to be a bridge across socioeconomic and cultural lines, um, and we exist to love Jesus and bring a community together. We would say that our community is fractured, and we want to help bring people together. And we think the big fractures are we just don't know people that are different than us culturally and socioeconomically. Schwartzman says it's too soon to say if or how Potter's House will accommodate Northwest Arkansas Black Heritage Association at their new headquarters on the former Jefferson School campus. Yeah, we don't know exactly who we'll be collaborating with at this point, but we are um, partly where that building is located and partly the history it served as the predominant um, black elementary school. I mean, it that school has a history, and so we want to be open, and we are open to partnering with different organizations to tell the history of the school, tell the history of the area. It was a big deal for us to help um, make sure that the school wasn't turned into apartments or knocked down, and so now that that's not happening, how do we tell the story of it and keep what happened in the school of education place and a community place? How do we make sure that that keeps happening for years into the future? Last year, Potter's House annual operating budget was $4 million. Schwartzman counts over 100 employees, 60% of them full-time. Workforce training is a key part of the mission, Schwartzman says. An anonymous major donor and other contributors have offered to facilitate the cash purchase of the former school facility. It will enhance our mission and impact here in a couple ways. One, our programs right now exist in different buildings around town that we don't own or rent. Other, other people let us use buildings. And so we will be able to move our programs to a central location where they'll be uh, easier to find, better facilities. Uh, two, we will be able to collaborate more with other organizations, which we love to do, and so there will be space there for that. And then we'll be able to expand and do new things um, like community functions, community gatherings, and, uh, and then even expand what we do specifically uh, like uh, entrepreneurship opportunities uh, where we could help people uh, jump into business, whether it be online store, or whether it be um, barbershop or cooking, we would have the space to get 
people in the community and give them the opportunity to grow in business, which we really like to be able to do. Schwartzman, who also has to raise money to renovate the aging facility, anticipates closing in February. As for Sharon Killian's bid to buy the old school to anchor a black cultural corridor? I had hoped for a much more enlightened view of the uh, situation, what with the addendum to the offer that was placed in the the RFP, the Request for Proposals or Request for Bids. Referring to a 15-point resolution signed and issued in September by the Fayetteville School Superintendent and Board to establish priority considerations for use in the review of offers to purchase the facility, one point being demonstrated experience with historic preservation or redevelopment. The resolution, however, states the board would consider all offers, regardless of whether the potential buyer meets priority considerations. Killian says she contacted Sean Schwartzman after the school board decided to accept his offer. We talked a bit, and I, you know, I, I made the overture, and he said he would, you know, think about our discussion, and uh, I, I'm assuming that he'll contact me again sometime, maybe. Northwest Arkansas Black Heritage, established in 2008, works in alliance with African-American churches and community nonprofits in the region, as well as academic, art, and cultural institutions. For 25 years, the Potter's House has served low-income families across Northwest Arkansas based on values that include friendship, dignity, Jesus-centered spiritual, emotional, and social well-being, holistic health, and unity through cultural diversity. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. Community Blood Center of the Ozarks is returning to a project that paid off with increased blood donations last year, the 56-Day Challenge. The concept is fairly simple. Donors give blood during the first month of 2023, stay in touch with CBCO online, continue to donate through the year, and then become eligible for prizes, prizes of up to $15,000. Michelle Teeter is media relations representative with CBCO and is with me now. Michelle, welcome to Ozarks at Large. Thanks for having me. All right, first of all, let's talk about the 56 in 56-day challenge. What does that number signify? So a donor can donate every 56 days. Normally, on average, we see a donor gives maybe twice a year, but they could be giving up to six times a year if they were donating every 56 days. And last year was the first year we did the 56-day um, challenge, and it was a big success. So we kind of made it bigger and better this year. Um, our sponsors, Adam Swinka at Flat Branch Home Loans and the Giving Branch, and so they donated more money, and people have up a chance to win $15,000. I think many people, myself included, will be surprised to hear that it's once every 56 days. I don't know why, yeah. but I thought it was like two or three times a year max. I don't know where I got that idea. Well, maybe just, you know, we all hear myths and things like that. So um, if you donate, it takes your body about two weeks to kind of recuperate those red blood cells. And then we say 56 days to just make sure your body's fully replenished and back back to its normal state. Um, so 56 days, someone could come in. So 
how to get into the challenge. So you would donate in January, and when you donate, you're going to get a warm and cozy hoodie. The second step would be you go online and fill out um, a commitment form on our website that you're going to join the challenge. Then you would have to donate your second time by April 6th, and then there will be a drawing at after April 6th for a $1,000 Visa gift card. Then you'll kind of get in our loop and you'll get emails from us and notifications on when you're eligible to donate again in your next 56 days. So if you keep donating every 56 days, the pot gets a little bit higher. So then the next time it's $2,000. The next time it's $3,000. And if you won the first time, you can win again. So it's not like, you know, you won once, so sorry, your name gets pulled out. Nope, you can continue in and you have a chance to win up to $15,000. You do not have to make the donations at the same uh, location every time throughout the year, do you? No, no, no. And it works for blood drives as well. Not You can do it at a donor center or blood drives going on. And here in public radio, we have started something over the last few years called Sustaining Members Who Give a Little Bit Every Month. And one thing we noticed from uh-huh. that is that we have a better idea toward the end of the year how much money we'll have because this is coming from, you know, a bank right. draft or whatever. Like a reoccurring. You can tell how many people are reoccurring to do it. Exactly. And I guess that's somewhat of the same philosophy behind the 56-day challenge. Yes. And, you know, it's it's harder to recruit a new donor than if someone just committed to giving more times than they normally do. Um, and which most people give about two times. So even if you gave four times, you're doubling the amount that you would normally give. Wow, that sounds... Helping, you know, four times the amount of people and patients in hospitals. Sounds just like public radio, except first time you get a hoodie instead of a coffee mug. Yeah, well, and our promotions change. So (laughs) in January, it's a warm hoodie. In December, we had some cool mugs. So, you know, we always have fun incentives. And, you know... The, the the need for blood and platelets and plasma doesn't reduce because it's winter or we've you know just gotten out of right. the holidays. It doesn't go away. It's a constant need. Um, you know, there's still patients in the hospital even though it's a holiday, unfortunately. Um, you know, and they want to go home just like you would and celebrate with your family. So. Um, one in seven patients entering the hospital will need blood, and about 25% of the blood supply is used by patients battling cancer. Most likely, some of us know someone that needs blood or has battled cancer and has needed blood. Uh, where, where are the details laid out for people to understand more? So the best place would be to go to our website at www.cbco.org. And you can click on a button that says 56-Day Challenge, and it will give you all the details and the steps that you need to do. The main thing is you're going to want to fill on that online commitment form that's on our website. So if you give in January, then you want to fill out the commitment form, and then you're going to want to donate again by April 6th. So those are your first three main steps. And then you'll go in the drawing the $1,000 gift card, and then we want you to keep giving, and that pot gets higher with the prize money. Anything else we should know? Um, um, I would just say you could donate for your guys' area. Uh, our Bentonville Donor Center is located at 1400 Southeast Walton, and our Springdale Donor Center is at 3503 South Thompson. 
Both donor centers are open Monday through Thursday, 11 to 6, and Fridays, 8 to 2. Also on our website, you could go in and you can put in your zip code, and then you can see where there's mobile drives in your area that might be more convenient for you to get to. All right, Michelle Teeter is Media Relations Representative with Community Blood Center of the Ozarks, CBCO, exclusive provider of blood, plasma, and platelets to patients at 44 hospitals in northwest Arkansas as well as southwest Missouri and parts of Kansas. Michelle, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on and sharing. We appreciate it. KUAF is supported by Penguin Ed's Barbecue, open for curbside pickup seven days a week at Mission and Crossover in Fayetteville and open seven days a week with dine-in, patio, and curbside pickup at the historic B&B location. PenguinEds.com for menus and more. And ahead on Ozarks, later this winter, for the 35th time, there will be a ceremony to honor new inductees into the Arkansas Agriculture Hall of Fame. He had an insurance company in St. Louis, but never forgot his roots of coming back. And the thing that I think was, you know, that really stood out to me with Mr. Bell was the fact that since he's been back, he has committed a great deal of his time and resources to helping youth go to college. Honoring five people who have made a difference in one of Arkansas's largest economic sectors later on today's show. And later this month, the KUAF Lunch Hour returns. Our intimate concert series offering an eclectic set of musicians, one free concert every month. This time, it's Emmy-nominated musician Amos Cochran. That's Amos Conkren's song, Bethlehem. And this time, the lunch hour is not in the lobby of the Carver Center for Public Radio, but rather it will be in the Walker Community Room at the Fayetteville Public Library. Food is going to be provided by the library's 641 Deli. This all happens Friday, beginning at noon, and it's across the street from KUAF at the Fayetteville Public Library inside the Walker Community Room. And it's all free. Also later this month, World-class and world-influenced jazz will be on stage at Walton Art Center. Cuban pianist Elio Villafranca will lead a night titled Chick Corea Afro-Caribbean Experience. He was one of the musicians handpicked by the late Chick Corea when jazz at Lincoln Center hosted a Chick Corea festival for an entire week in 2013. This is from his CD, Sin K.
Ilovio Franca and friends will present Chick Corea Afro-Caribbean Experience Friday night, January 27th at the Walton Arts Center. And that same night, the Jake Herzog Band brings jazz to the Prior Center on the Fayetteville Square. Jake is an assistant professor of guitar at the University of Arkansas and jazz area coordinator in the Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences at the U of A. His performance begins at 6 p.m. Friday the 27th. You can find a list of all area jazz events at digjazz.com. That's the home of the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society. And here's a jazz list for you. Robert Ginsburg's list of great jazz from 2022. Robert, the founder of the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society and the host of KUAF's Shades of Jazz, brings us an audio survey of his favorite jazz from last year. I have a certain reluctance trying to figure out the best top 10 of anything these days. And that goes for best jazz recordings. But I am compelled at the end of the year to look back on the amazing body of work that's been released by some of the great jazz artists. And 2022 is no exception. So what's to follow is the short list of some of my picks of best recordings. It includes a real variety of veteran groups that have uh, come together after being apart for a long time, new discoveries in the world of jazz, and Jazz Masters reissues. My picks of the best jazz releases in no particular order of 2022. So let's get started with a group known as The Cookers. This is their 2022 release of a CD entitled The Path. And we're going to hear Blues Downstairs. The Cookers Quintet blaze their own trail on this recording. This is their fourth album together. The group includes Ryan Oliver on tenor sax, Tim Hamill on trumpet, Alex Coleman on bass, and Bernie Sorensky on piano. Sorensky is a veteran pianist and jazz musician. He played with Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. You'll hear a piece of his quirky and monkish solo at the end of this clip. Let's jump right in from The Cookers. This is... Blues down the stairs. That was the Cookers doing Blues Down the Stairs. Ever so rarely, an artist appears on the scene who, from the first note that they perform, you know that this is an artist destined for greatness. Such is the case with 22-year-old singer Samara Joy. To my ears, this young vocalist joins the ranks of Sarah, Billy, 
Carmen and the great jazz vocalists of the past. Her voice is rich and it's velvety, yet it's very refined. On the selection from her new recording, Linger a While, I have chosen a tune called Nostalgia. And what's remarkable about this, she transcribed a trumpet solo from Fats Navarro's 1947 version of this tune, note for note, and wrote lyrics to it. It's incredibly hip. And uh, we'll start out by hearing Fats's take as he goes into his solo, and we'll fade into Samara picking up the ball. I figured after all this time and all these years together, all the memories made that you would be tired by now. It should have grown dull or stagnant. But with each passing day, there's never a moment I regret saying hello, miss. How you doing? I would like to know you. You brushed me off immediately, gave me the coldest shoulder I've ever received, which made me want to get to know you even more. That's when I ran into you at the bookstore, your hair pinned back while listening to music. I said, Pets, make your move now before it's too late. Don't let her get away, be brave. And then I said, darling, if you'll just give me a chance. I'll treat you like a queen, my world is yours. That was 50 years ago today, despite the ups and downs, I wouldn't change a thing. Singer Samara Joy from her 2022 release, Linger a While, we heard nostalgia. And we're looking back at the year in jazz, my favorite recordings from 2022. Next up, quite a different sound and a very international group. Israeli composer, band leader, bassist, and also a very fine pianist, Avishai Cohen, has come out this last year with a trio recording. Avishai is a veteran of Chick Corea's band. He's led many of his own groups as well, but he has returned to the trio setting with this CD, Shifting Sands. Avishai Cohen playing bass and he's been a longtime collaborator with the pianist Elkin Shirinoff. And you'll hear this almost telepathic rapport they have. Avishai Cohen's trio, Shifting Sands. Israeli bassist Avishai Cohen from his 2022 release, Shifting Sands, and we heard the title track. I'm Robert Ginsberg. We're looking back at the year in jazz. My next pick is a recording from alto saxophonist Emmanuel Wilkins. His 2022 release, The Seventh Hand, released on Blue Note Records. This Philadelphia native is only 24 years old, but he is already receiving accolades across the board. 
One of the things I really enjoy about Wilkins, aside from his incredible playing, is his compositional prowess. Each phrase seems to resolve with a different emotional impact, with the emotions shifting slightly from phrase to phrase, but somehow resonating against one another to create a compelling statement. From the seventh hand, here's Emmanuel Wilkins' quartet performing Fugitive Ritual. Saxophonist Emmanuel Wilkins from his 2022 release, The Seventh Hand. One of my favorite all-time vocalists, and she continues to put out an incredible body of work. Her voice is unmistakable. Catherine Russell's latest showcases her wonderful vocal talents, backed by a who's who of great New York musicians. And uh, when you listen to Russell, you immediately feel the warmth and the wisdom and humanity of a, a singer who can't help but bring lyrics to life. She is a classic, and uh, there are shades of the entire history of jazz in her singing from New Orleans to New York City. This CD is called Send For Me, and I try to avoid title tracks, but this is another title track I just, I couldn't pass up. So we will hear Send For Me. Here's Catherine Russell.
Catherine Russell delivering the goods there on the title track of her 2022 release, Send For Me. As I look back on the year 2022 and realize just how many remarkable recordings were released, this next one was unmistakably one that had to be included. It marks the reunion of an amazing quartet, Joshua Redman's group from 1994. They have come back together this year and released Long Gone. Joshua Redman on saxophone, Brad Meldow on piano, Christian McBride on bass, and Brian Blade on drums. That is about as good as it gets. Joshua Redman's quartet features these classic to contemporary jazz sounds. Long Gone is the latest chapter in this very original band, this time with all six tracks being composed by Joshua Redman. You'll hear Joshua playing the soprano saxophone on this composition, Disco Ears. Joshua Redman's Quartet featuring Brad Meldow, Christian McBride, and Brian Blade. The CD is long gone, and that tune is Disco Ears. The list of jazz recordings from 2022 that are worthy of being included in this look back at the year goes on and on, but for the sake of brevity, we will end here. I would mention that uh, Bruce Barth's recording on Origin Records, Dedication, Ahmed Jamal's reissue of a 1965 live recording, Emerald City Nights, and the trio recording with Ron Carter, Jack Dejanet, and Gonzalo Rubalcaba, entitled Skyline, are worth mentioning. I'm Robert Ginsberg, host of Shades of Jazz, and over the next few weeks, I'll feature more tracks uh, that were not included here. Some of my favorite jazz recordings from 2022. Robert Ginsburg is the host of Shades of Jazz. It's the longest-running radio show in northwest Arkansas. You can hear it every Friday night from 10 until midnight on KUAF. Then again Saturdays from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3, our free 
digital jazz station that you can find on your HD radio or at KUAF.com or by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF3. And more favorite things from 2022 on tomorrow's show. Our favorite film reviewer, Courtney Lanning, has accumulated her top 10 films of 2022. And we start the countdown on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, January 7th at Walton Arts Center, performing William Grant Still's Mother and Child, Leonard Bernstein's Chichester Psalms, featuring the Sona Singers, and Henrik Gorecki's Symphony of Sorrows, featuring soprano Miriam Khalil. This emotional program evokes the love that exists across time between a mother and her child. Tickets at sonamusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large. It's a bit rude to be just a few days into a new year and already talking about deadlines, but there are a few to be reminded about, including one deadline that takes effect today. This is the final day for early bird tickets for Fresh Grass Bentonville. Tickets for that two-day affair taking place in May increase beginning tomorrow. You can learn more at themomentary.org. Bella Vista is seeking a farmer's market manager and the deadline for applying for the 2023 position, Thursday, January 19th. A list of requirements can be found by following links at bellavistaar.gov. Deadline to register for auditions for the 2023 Jazz All-Stars, Monday, January 23rd. Much more about the auditions and the Jazz All-Stars at digjazz.com. Your days to take in the exhibit Fashioning America, Grit to Glamour at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville, dwindling. But you do still have time. Fashioning America closes on January 30th. Details at crystalbridges.org. But don't go tomorrow. Crystal Bridges closed every Tuesday. And Arts One Presents, based in Springdale, will accept applications for the upcoming art installation, the Springdale Barn Quilt Project. Arts One Presents seeking four. Northwest Arkansas-based fiber textile artists for this exhibit. Deadline to apply, February 1st. The final project will be completed in early May. There is an online application process form at a web address that's too complicated to repeat here. You wouldn't remember it, but you can find out more at artsonepresents.org. The selected artists will both design and paint a barn quilt as well as exhibit an example of their traditional craftwork in the exhibit that's taking place at the Medium by Cash and the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History. And speaking of the Shiloh Museum, they're going to host the program A Family Practice that will tell us about the story of six doctors in four generations of the Russell family. The presenters, Bill Russell, Dr. Bill Lindsay, and Mary Ryan, are authors of A Family Practice, The Russell Doctors and the Evolving Business of Medicine, 1799 to 1989, published by the University of Arkansas Press. The presentation at the Shiloh Museum of Ozark History in downtown Springdale is Wednesday, January 18th at 6.30 that night. It's an in-person event that will also be available streaming live online. The in-person experience limited to 100 participants. Registration for that is required. Details available at shilohmuseum.org. And while registration is required for the in-person event, it is free. Jill Weber-Lenz is a professor and associate dean at the University of Arkansas School of Law. She's an expert on legal recognition and treatment of stillbirth and has written about it in the context of tort, remedies and criminal law, maternal health care, and reproductive rights and justice. Something that's really frustrated me about the abortion debate for a long time is that pregnancy loss is not in the picture. 
because the anti-abortion side wants us to believe that every pregnancy not terminated will end up with a living baby. And the abortion rights side wants us to believe that every pregnancy not terminated will end up in forced parenthood. The millions of pregnancy losses that happen every year are just erased. More recently, her research in this area has led to examining the legal ramifications of abortion, especially in light of the U.S. Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade. You can hear more in the latest edition of Short Talks from the Hill, a research and economic development podcast of the University of Arkansas. Listen at KUAF.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Has the relaxation of the holidays faded away with the return of the regular? Or... Did the holidays provide more stress for you? Either way, let's just take a moment to exhale and listen to how 2023 arrived before the sunrise on New Year's Day, Creekside, along the ramble, just off the Razorback Greenway in downtown Fayetteville. New Year's morning before the sunrise, this is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow on Ozarks, for decades, Andrew Kilgore has been capturing the images of Arkansas, Fayetteville, and most importantly, people who might often otherwise not be seen by many of us. What we were supposedly doing was developing a curriculum, a way of working with kids with that multiply, multiply handicapped thing. And, and he was just this incredibly beautiful child. He was 12 years old when I took that picture. And, and, and just a beautiful kid. And, and I, you know, I, I loved him. And A new 100 photograph exhibition of Andrew Kilgore's work can now be seen in the Joy Pratt Markham Gallery at the Walton Art Center. We'll talk with him on tomorrow's show at noon and 7 p.m. and on the free Ozarks at Large podcast. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellams. The 2023 class of inductees for the Arkansas Hall of Fame includes people who have innovative techniques regarding cotton, livestock, rice, and ag education. The Hall of Fame was established in 1987, and this year's class is the 35th to be inaugurated. Debbie Moreland, the chair of the Arkansas Agriculture Hall of Fame, says having a Hall of Fame for Arkansas ag makes sense, since the state leads the nation in the production of things like rice and bait fish and is in the top five nationally for products like turkeys. And not surprisingly, she says there's never a shortage of nominees for each year's Hall of Fame class. Really isn't. I mean, we have some fantastic producers and farmers out there. Uh, we normally have between 16 and 20 uh, entries. Anyone can nominate someone if you think that they, the work that they've done or their career has been outstanding and it's had an impact on the state of Arkansas and the agricultural industry and the youth or business or whomever. Anyone can be nominated. Among this year's inductees, Ellis Bell, 
a fourth-generation minority farmer who operates a farm first established in the 1870s. He left Arkansas after high school in Forest City to work as an aircraft mechanic and an insurance broker, but he returned to his home state to farm. He had an insurance company in St. Louis, but never forgot his roots of coming back. And the thing that I think was, you know, that really stood out to me with Mr. Bell was the fact that since he's been back, he has committed a great deal of his time and resources to helping youth go to college so that they can have the same opportunities he had. Another inductee this year, Chris Isbell, is the first farmer to grow a specific kind of rice outside of Japan. He's used his expertise to move into a type of rice prized around the world as a key ingredient in sake. I mean, that's pretty innovative. And, you know, to be able to, number one, get outside your own world to a world that you have no, you have no interest, I mean, no knowledge about Japanese and making sake, but was able to jump to that level. And now you provide that specialty rice to breweries around the world. I mean, that's pretty innovative. Now, that family has always been innovative. They were the very first ones to come up with zero-grade uh, uh, irrigation. I mean, they have been innovative as long as uh, even Chris Isbell, his dad. So, uh, you know, they, they have always been on the cutting edge, and then how can they make things a little better? Also to be inducted at official ceremonies in March, Burt Greenway a professor of agricultural economics at Arkansas State University. Steve Stevens, a former member of the National Cotton Council Board, and the late Jesse J.D. Vaught, a pioneer in livestock production. Debbie Moreland, the chair of the Hall of Fame, says the recognition the Hall delivers every year doesn't just honor individuals, but places a big spotlight on the importance of agriculture in Arkansas. Well, when you look into rural Arkansas, if you do not have a robust agricultural community, those those small towns just drop and die. I mean, it is to build the awareness of agriculture. It's also to help, um, you know, it makes significant contributions to the prosperity of these local communities and the state overall. But uh, a lot of the, especially in the Delta, if you lose that agriculture over there, those communities just cannot survive. Debbie Moreland is the chair of the Arkansas Agriculture Hall of Fame. This year's class will be formally inducted March 3rd at the Little Rock Convention Center. More about the ceremony and the Hall of Fame at ArkansasAgHallOfFame.org. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Hey, Bobby, would you like to go for a ride? Country music pioneer Kay Oslin was born May 15, 1942 in Crossit, a southeast Arkansas town that was founded to be a lumber town. Her father, Larry, worked as a foreman in the paper mill, but died of leukemia when Kay was only five years old. Kay's mother, Kathleen Bird Oslin, worked for the VA. They lived in Memphis and in Houston, Texas, where the family moved after her father's death. Growing up, Kay's role models were her mother and her grandmother, the kind of strong, independent women who would later populate Kay's songs. Oslin attended Lon Morris, a Methodist private college in Jacksonville, Texas, majoring in drama. She also got into folk music, joining a trio with Guy Clark. Clark would later become, like Oslin, a country songwriting legend, with the songs recorded by Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Jimmy Buffett, and others. The trio even recorded an album, but despite their combined future star power, it went nowhere. In the mid-1960s, Oslin moved to New York City to pursue acting. She stayed for 20 years. She appeared in Promises, Promises, Hello, Dolly, West Side Story, and other productions on and off Broadway. She could also be seen on TV. 
acting in commercials, and singing jingles for hemorrhoid creams, soft drinks, denture cream, and cleaning products. But music remained on her mind, her own music. In the early 1980s, she released singles on Elektra Records, a label never known for country music. They didn't sell, and she asked to be released from her contract. Still, her songs, with titles like Clean Your Own Tables and Younger Men, gained attention in the right places. After years of pursuing a different type of show business, Oslin's songwriting cut the path for her unlikely middle-aged breakthrough. Now known professionally by the initials KT, Oslin was in her mid-40s when her first album, 80s Ladies, was released by RCA. Just as improbable as her midlife debut itself, the 1987 release was a smash. There was an audience for what Oslin had to say. Her songs were also recorded by Dottie West, Gail Davies, Dusty Springfield, The Judds, and others. Her mature takes on life and love have been seldom heard in country music, but she fast became part of its A-list. Do you still get a thrill when you see me coming up the hill? 80s Ladies was eventually certified platinum. She won a Grammy and was named CMA Female Vocalist of the Year with her debut at an age when many singers are planning their comebacks. Do You from the album became her first number one hit, and with the title song, Oslin became the first ever female songwriter to win the CMA for Song of the Year. Her follow-up album, 1988's This Woman, kept the winning thread of keyboard-driven laments and the complications of grown-up love. It also went platinum and also won a CMA award and added two more Grammys to her collection. I'm a little bit stronger. 1990's Love in a Small Town hit the top five and went gold. It included Come Next Monday, Heard Here, her biggest hit. With only three albums to her credit, but four number one hits, Oslin released a compilation album in 1993, the wonderfully titled Songs from an Aging Sex Bomb. She then retired from music and the road. The music business was changing in the early 1990s, she explained to Billboard magazine. It got younger and younger, and I didn't want to fight it, she said. So I asked my business people if I had enough money to quit, and they said I did, so that's what I did. Austin would release music and make concert appearances only sporadically for the rest of her career. Several years after she'd left music, but only a year after she'd had quadruple bypass surgery, Oslin released a covers album called My Roots Are Showing. It was her lowest selling release. Another five years passed before her next album, called Live Close By, Visit Often. Now we're Oslin's final album was also her first in 14 years, and only her sixth in a country music career spanning four decades. Called Simply, it was released in 2015. That same year, she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Bringing her recording career full circle simply included a working of 80s Ladies, the song that started it all for her. A pioneering, unique, and very successful songwriting voice, K.T. Oslin died December 21, 2020, at 78 years old. 
with her song, Clean Your Own Tables. Here's Cross at Arkansas's KT Oslin. Tables by Ashley County, Arkansas native and country music trailblazer KT Oslin. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansas since 1998. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Pineville, Missouri. 91.3 KUAF a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Thanks to the contributors today, including Jacqueline Froehler, Robert Ginsburg, and Stephen Cook. I produce today's show inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks so much for being with us. Back with you tomorrow at noon and 7.